It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yodokali, keeping it weird since 1997. Oh, who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! Hello y hola, everybody. You're listening to What's Up on WLPNLP, Lumpin' Radio 105.5 FM, Chicago. This is Adesili on the mic with the YOLO crew. Maru. Diego. And Kid. And Sam. We are coming to you live from the National Museum of Mexican Art, located at 1852 West 19th Street here in Pilsen, open every Tuesday through Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. But in this episode, we are specifically focusing on a special exhibit, one close to all of our Yolokali hearts. Curated by Marina Alvarez, the Giving Shape exhibition is open to each and every one of you through September 3rd. But what is Giving Shape really all about? Hmm. Giving shape means to represent in a physical, visible form. The exhibit shines a light on the over 25-year-long history of YOLO through both past and present artworks created from YOLO Kali's very own teaching artists and alumni. From videography to paintings to clay pieces, each corner of the exhibit represents a part of YOLO Kali art's reach history and how YOLO has expanded beyond its walls into the city. But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on real quick. We got to give a shout out to all the wonderful Giving Shape artists. We send you love and appreciation for paving the way. Special thanks to Sarita Garcia, Jose Mora, and Izzy Ortiz for their open hearts and time. We will be hearing from them later on. Each artwork in Giving Shape is a physical expression of how far the program has come, and the exhibit further embraces hope for Yolo Kali's bright, innovative future. Much like its definition, Yolo Kali is Nahuatl, for heart of the home, and the Giving Shape exhibit at the National Museum of Mexican Art shares that love with all y'all. Without further delay, without further ado, let's get this episode going. It's giving mm, shape. Now E is now E is gonna take it away. They got a one-on-one virtual interview with the exhibit curator Marina Alvarez. Enjoy. Hi, hello, hey. This is E Rodriguez back at it again with the they them pronouns, speaking to you directly from Yolokali headquarters. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it today. But I did have the pleasure to interview Marina Alvarez, the curated exhibition, Giving Shape. Come with me to get the behind the scenes of making this exhibition come to life, along with Marina's experience working in the museum field. Hope you enjoy. All right. So hi, lovely to meet you. 
Uh, thank you again for agreeing for this interview. My name is E. Rodriguez and I go by they, them pronouns. Can you introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and your involvement with the exhibition Giving Shape at the National Museum of Mexican Art? Of course. Uh, thank you, E, for the invitation, by the way. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today. Um, my name is Marina Alvarez. I My pronouns are she, her, ella. Um, I am the curator of uh, Giving Shape, your locally artistic um, practice through the years. Um, and I am the former um, Andrew W. Mellon Visual Arts Curatorial Assistant at the National Museum of Mexican Art. So that's how I was uh, invited, you know, to be a curator of the show. Can you describe the process of curating the Giving Shape exhibition along with your experience being the Visual Arts Curator Curatorial Assistant at the National Museum of Mexican Art? Of course. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, I was in that role at the museum um, and working in a museum, you have to plan many years in advance, right, for the different exhibitions and programs and just imagining what that is going to look like for people. So this was um, an exhibition that uh, was on the calendar for maybe probably two to three years ago, right, that we were planning to do this um specific dedication to Yolokali, but not really knowing what it was going to look like. Um, so I, you know, I spent two years as curatorial assistant and then was invited by the chief curator, Cesario Moreno, to be the curator of this show. And I was given um, a lot of creative control <laughs> uh, to be able to uh, create an exhibition in whatever form it would take. It didn't have to look any specific way, right? Um, it could have explored the history of Yolokali. It could have explored um, many different avenues of, you know, um, Yolokali arts reach. But I decided to go with a little bit of a retrospective. Um, so meaning kind of looking back, right? Um, and that was, would not have been possible if it were, you know, uh, if I did not get the help from uh, Vanessa Sanchez, right, director of education, director of your local arts reach, um, she was and has been, you know, a huge um, support in making this exhibition happen. You know, uh, she provided me a list of the um, alum of Yolokali Arts Reach. So it's just like a kind of like a mini archive of different people who have been through the program and what they were up to now, right? So it's like, where where are these people? Um, and from there, you know, I started contacting people and seeing who still kept up in artistic practice. In combination with doing research on the history, because I felt like I needed to do that um, research, especially as someone who is not from Chicago. Um, I, you know, I wasn't a student of Yolokali, but I, you know, I am from Los Angeles and I, my life has been impacted by um, free art programs. So I feel like that really resonated um, with being able to understand maybe just like a little bit, you know, like what Yolokali Arts Reach means to people. So in you know conducting research, I interviewed a lot of different people who held administrative positions um, in the program, and um, in a specific interview with uh, Mari Carmen, she told me she saw 
how Yolokani has transformed Chicago, has transformed the landscape. And that was kind of the um, guide for how I would curate the show. So, um, you know, once I selected, once I invited artists and they accepted, then it was a matter of like, okay, let's figure out how we can add these little, not little, because all the pieces are very big in the, in the space, but how each artist with their piece or pieces uh, contributes their story and how Yolokali has impacted their their life, you know, their artistic practice. And in turn, that has shaped, you know, and, and given many different um, faces to Chicago's literary landscape, physical landscape, and auditory landscape. So um, in sum, <laughs> that has, you know, kind of been that the process for um, creating this exhibition. What other things were you looking for to convey in this exhi exhibition? The biggest thing for me was having different type of art, different type of media, because I didn't just want an exhibition of paintings. I didn't want just an exhibition of um, prints. I, it was really important to me that all those different um, artistic mediums were represented because of the way that Yolokali has um, incorporated, you know, all these different types of courses from like street art to graffiti, photography, um, audio journalism, you know? So like, I just really wanted to make sure that all of that was represented. Perfect. Um, cause yeah, I was just going to say, Yolokai does have like dedicates programs to connecting youth with street art that include murals and graffiti. Um, and with your background working, working in the field, why is it important for you to platform graffiti and street art and, and street art in museum spaces? Um, for very <laughs> selfish reasons, I think, because, you know, um, I think it's really important. I think if we look at the history of museums, they have been very exclusive spaces, right? They haven't been open for every um, type of person, every type of body. Um, we're still working, you know, towards making these spaces accessible and equitable um, in the ways that, you know, they're representing artists as well as the artwork that is on the walls. You know, um, I have studied... I have dedicated a lot of my work, you know, um, as a scholar, you know, to study graffiti because of the way that challenges the um, how we interact with space. And, and I think there's, which is very much, I feel a, like um, a motto of Yolokali, which is autonomy, right? Like youth autonomy um, and having the um, first person voice to be able to, you know, tell your story right? It's not through the lens of someone else. You're telling your story. And I think that comes through in graffiti in a very strong and necessary way, as well as us being able to see how graffiti naturally resists hierarchies. It resists, you know, uh, the different, just like these different labels that exist in spaces that we are actively challenging. And so I think it's beautiful. I think graffiti belongs everywhere. <laughs> I think it's really awesome to see it on walls, but it has a different meaning when it's in a museum space, right? Because it is actively challenging. Uh, what is the purpose of a museum? You know, we want to make sure that everyone is represented. Everyone feels accepted. Everyone feels like they are welcome into that space. And so I think that it, it's really important to be able to see that in, in a museum. 
You've mentioned how you're going to Mexico very soon. I've also noticed in my research that you've taken quite a few trips to other Latin countries. Uh, what do you notice in terms of differences in the art scenes between the States and Latin America? Um, and so I specifically like to focus on graffiti that um, has like a feminist or like a political message, right? Because that I feel is a way that you see how people are, how people feel, right? From day to day living in, in these spaces. And I have tended to focus on like urban, you know, cities. Um, so I lived in Buenos Aires um, now 10 years ago. <laughs> Um, and that's where I learned about like the history of, and that was my first introduction, um, into the history of the uses of graffiti as like resistance and telling a story more than anything. If you look at the walls, you see the story of people, you see the story of communities, you see the history of uh, neighborhoods, you know, you, you get to know who are the people that live there, what do they care about, what, uh, what angers them, what brings them joy. And it wasn't until that I was in Latin America that I realized, wait, I'm from Los Angeles where there's this huge history of graffiti too. And like specifically with youth, right? Like that, pre- pre- that medium provided a space for youth to express themselves when, you know, when it feels like uh, the world is a very complicated place to understand. Like if you are creating art in your neighborhood and, um, you know, you, there's no like art programs around you. You're like, I feel like, you know, street art and graffiti are very natural, um, outlets for that. And specifically talking about, you know, the 1990s, um, Um, And I think now a lot of art programs are embracing, like, you know, let's really teach the youth, you know, and, um, and how to, you know, learn about um, this practice. But um, there are a lot of differences, right, because of the histories of countries. But what I gravitate more towards is the way that, you know, it's a platform for people to voice themselves. It's a platform for people to, to express themselves. And so that's where I find like a similarity right um so i have been to you know puerto rico where i have seen this type of graffiti mexico city has this very feminist graffiti um buenos aires was a little bit more like about um the back then you know it was about um uh the economic situation because you know it has affected now you know we're seeing you know um not to get like too academic, <laughs> but you know, it, it's, it's hard with inflation. And, and so um, that was very prominent on the walls back then. But now I think, especially too, with, you know, 2020 in the United States and the murder of George Floyd, we've seen a lot of people utilize graffiti to talk about, you know, police brutality, to talk about violence, you know, day to day in our neighborhoods, as well as like colonial legacies, right? We're starting to question monuments. We're starting to question, well, why does this exist in a public space? So I think it has a lot of potential, um, you know, uh, around the world to, to kind of create these very important conversations. Finally, um, which piece in Giving Shape has been the most intriguing to you? This is the hardest question <laughs> you would like, you know, you, you, at, you sent me the, the question list and I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to respond to that because <laughs> they are all such important pieces, every single one of them. And, you know, like I, I wish I had more gallery space to be able to show more because there were more that, you know, that deserve to be in the show. And I wish I got to, you know, bring in more artists, but 
I will say that my hope, and I, I hope that it comes through in this exhibition, is that every single piece in there is like that, is the artist telling are the, the visitors, the viewers, what Yolokali has meant to them. What, um, how Yolokali has impacted themselves in their life and how, you know, um, Yolokali has like, you know, shaped their artistic practice. Um, so it's, I cannot choose a single one. I think, you know, I'm just so happy that we got a variety of pieces, right? Like I mentioned before, like I didn't want this to just be a painting exhibition because people need to be able to interact with different types of artwork. People need to interact with, you know, what is the essence of Golokai, which is like you express yourself how you feel like you want to express yourself. It doesn't have to look one way. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us to give us this interview. We we really do appreciate your efforts in curating the Giving Shape exhibition. Thank you so much like for reaching out and, and really activating the exhibition because it, it needs youth, <laughs> you know, you know, to to make sure that, you know, people are, are interacting with it. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Any last thoughts on that you want to add before we end the interview? Um, yeah, I'm just excited to hear like what you all think about it, you know, because, um, yeah, I, I, like I mentioned, you know, retrospective looking back, but I want to know if, if it still feels relevant to you, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much again, Marina, for putting so much care into giving shape. Everyone here at Yolokali appreciates it. I hope you're able to hear all the love from your trip. Safe travels. Now let's keep it rolling. Okay, thank you, Wee, for that wonderful interview. And we are back with some cool people that are visiting the museum in which Sam and I will be interviewing. Along with Kid. Oh, Kid, yeah, Kid, <laughs> cool, sweaty. Okay, hi. Hi. What's your name? Um, my name is Melissa, thank you. Melissa Salcedo. Where are you from? I'm from Mexico. Mexico. From Mexico? Mm-hmm. What part of Mexico? Uh, Guanajuato. Sweaty. What brings you into the Mexican Museum? Um, I came to a tour that it was from the murals. Uh, it was part of um, a person who works here. So, and the final destination was the museum. This is my second time here in the museum. You, you went to the Giving Shape exhibit? Yeah. What, what's your favorite part from it? Or what resonated with you? I was just walking, right? And then I saw the video and I was like, oh my gosh, I know that guy. <laughs> and I was like, just watching the video and then I learned about what you did in um, near to the jail that is in Little Village. I live in Little Village, so I'm just like, oh, that's so cool what they are doing there. It, it was not graffiti, but it was, but it, it, you didn't use paint, so that was amazing. So I was just asking like, did you ask for permission to do that? Did you get in troubles? Did you, did you get into the jail for just doing the graffiti? No, I'm just kidding. But that was really interesting, learning about people who is in jail and how we perceive them, right? Like people who did bad things, but how they are telling that there is people who maybe didn't anything at all and are in the jail, right? So. Well, you've been living in Little Village how long? Uh, it's going to be six years. <laughs> Thank you. Final question, what's your star sign? Sign? Like, um, like, like astrology? Yeah, astrology. Oh, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> me too, me too. Fire sign and all that. Oh, yes. Oh, what's your favorite part of living in Little Village? 
mm. so far. That um, the transition was mm, was not that hard because there was people mm -hmm. that I know already, the language, uh, and I would say the food. Like, mm. yeah, I really like the food there. But los tacos. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate you Thank talking you to guys. us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Hello there. Hi. Hey. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, would you mind introducing yourself? Like, what's your name? Sure. Um, my name is Mia. Mia? Mm -hmm. How you doing? <laughs> I already said that. Uh, so where are you from? Are you from here, Chicago? Yeah, I was born here. Really? Oh, what neighborhood? Um, well, I was born in Lakeview, and we moved around a bit, um, like through Logan Square, uh, Rogers Park a little bit, mm. and then right now I live in North Center. Oh, that's really interesting. So what brought you all the way down here to Pilsen, to the museum? Well, my husband suggested we come. Um, he is originally from L.A., um, and I had come here a long time ago on a field trip um, when I was a little kid. Um, and so he mentioned it as something to do today and something that he wanted to check out. So we came. That's nice. Have you seen anything so far that really piqued your, or piqued your interest? Um, I do, yeah, I don't remember it, but there, there's a mural in the exhibit behind us. It's mm -hmm. like really, really big um, with a lot of colors on it. And I thought that was really nice. Have you had a chance to check out the Giving Shape exhibition here? Possibly, Possibly. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember if I saw the name. Oh, that's totally okay. Um, is there anything else that you would like to see around the museum or specifically about the Giving Shape exhibition? Um, yeah, we were, I think before we came out here, we were in a, like a more, I think, contemporary um, art section of the museum that we wanted to check out. Yeah, that sounds cool. And lastly, what's your star sign? What's a star sign? Um, like astrology. Oh, yeah. I like Capricorn. Capricorn. Hey, Me too. Shout out. All right. Well, thank you so much. That thank was you. all of our questions for our visitors here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank so you much. so much. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. How we doing? How we doing? Welcome in. Welcome in. So, tell us your name. My name is Jose Placencia. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, where, where, where are you from? I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. Nice. And so what brings you here to the National Museum of Mexican Art? Um, it piqued my interest. I'd had it on my list for the longest time ever, and I convinced my wife to <laughs> come check it out. Nice. Did you check out the Giving Shape exhibit, by the way? I didn't. Um, I might check it out after this uh, segment. Yes, definitely. It's something to look forward to as well. Uh, anything that you'd like from this museum? Um... There is a lot that I, I like, um, and I will probably revisit a few of the exhibits, um, but nothing uh, specifically, I'd say. Nice, definitely. Last but not least, what is your astrology sign? I don't know. You don't know? No. Okay. Nice. Go, let's, let's, let's see if we can uh, find that out today. <laughs> well, well, when were you born? Um, in June. In June? June of... Uh, that's... Uh, probably around this time, right? June what exactly? June 7th. June 7th. I think that's a Gemini. Gemini. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Gemini's are pretty too. cool. I'm guessing that's good. Yes. Yes, that's yes. very good. Star signs in it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. And uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you.
Thank you to our wonderful guests for sharing their time with us and getting to learn more about their visit here at the National Museum of Mexican Art. Now we will hear from Kid and the interview that he had with a very cool person. Thank you again to our wonderful guests, Melissa, Mia, and Joseph, once again for their time. Upcoming next, I had the pleasure to have a sit-down conversation with the president and founder of the National Mexican Museum of Arts to talk a little bit about the history of Yolokali. Let's listen in. Yo, 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 my name is William Guerrero, a.k.a. The Kid from Pilsen, here with Lumpin' Radio at the Little Village Studio. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with today? Carlos Tortoledo, president of the National Museum of Mexican Art. Lovely. And how long have you been with the museum? I, I think I was born with it. Uh, I founded it in 1982. I asked a few of my friends, we were all educators, so let's do a museum. They thought I was crazy. Opened the doors in 87 and been with it ever since, ever since we were founded in 82. Nice. Uh, there was a program called Yolo Cali that you guys started. Why did you guys start Yolo Cali? I started the program because I thought there was a need for something like this. I really thought, thought it was very, very important. And I thought it was very important that the voice of the young people be heard. I think young people need their own space. So, you know, my job is to make sure the program's running great and uh, we have the funds for it. And so my, you know, so I really wanted a place for young people to be able to do their art, be together in, in a very constructive way. Absolutely, yes. And in the early stages of Yolokali, what did the classes look like? You know, a lot like today, in a sense. I think we offer more today, but, you know, all kind of arts classes. You know, the young people have a voice in what classes they want getting taught. So, yeah, it's very similar. Very similar. There's, you know, I think we're doing more. You know, like uh, the garden is a project we didn't have before. I'm always kidding around and I tell them that uh, your garden's become more more famous than 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 the Garden of Eden. I think, I mean, <laughs> it's always popping up. <laughs> so it's a good project. So I think we, I think we just expanded what we were doing. Was there any specific classes that you guys had? Well, they did a lot of classes. Uh, I know murals is one of the things they would do, of course. Painting, photography. I think those are some of the early things they were doing. Yeah. Now, in the beginning, what kind of difficulties did the program face? None, really. I mean, I think the major challenge for our for all art organizations is, uh, you know, dinero, getting the money. That's the major challenge. So I think the challenge is, you know, having the money. That's the big thing. And from day one, a lot of young people had signed up for the class. It's still the case today. So I think the challenge has always been to get the money. That's always been the challenge. So at that time, what would you say separated Yolo Kali from other programs at that time? I love that question because let me tell you what I did. When I started the program, I went to visit three locations across the country, which I will not name out of fairness to them. They were the best in the country, right? You would walk into them and the students were all quiet. It was like you were in a church or something. And they had calculus books out, you know, and they didn't need that program. They need those, those young people, they're going to college. They know what they want to do. It's, it's like they don't, you know. And, and of course, we brag, you know, all our students are going to college. Well, you're picking the students with the top grades, for God's sake. Uh, so from the very beginning, I thought your college should be for everybody. Whether you're an A student or barely passing, I think this is an idea for young people to get together and not have just the kids who are doing great in class. And I think that's been what separates you. Because whether or not you would think that we would be the way all the programs are. It's the opposite. What they do, you know, oh, you're a trouble, get out, don't come back. You know, close the door behind you. Get out of here. That's what your colleagues has been. You know, it's been the opposite where all the students are, you know, come on in. 
But I think the bonding that young people do with one another, just the fact that they become friends, just so they can say, you know, I got this problem, you know, they can talk with each other about it. I think that's an important part of the program. I really do think so. Well, from us to you, Carlos, we want to say thank you. Thank you so much for creating Yolo Cali. has truly made an impact on a numerous amount of students here in Little Village in Pilsen, uh, truly. And uh, with that being said, this is a kid from Pilsen with Lumpen Radio. I do want to say one thing real quick. I want to oh, say thank you because you guys have, have taken advantage of an opportunity to present it to you. And that's the way it should be. So thank you for making it work. It can't work without you guys. Thank you again, Carlos. We appreciate you. Don't go anywhere just yet. We got more on the way. Hello. Hi. Hi. My name is Sam, uh, and I'm here with Maru Araceli. And Diego. And we're here with Sarita. Sarita Garcia. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we are here talking about Sarita's involvement with the Giving Shape exhibit here at the National Museum of Mexican Art. Sarita, who researched the archives of Yolo Cali and was influenced by Maria Cotera's work, sought to interview and capture the oral history for her master thesis at SAIC. So, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. I think I'm kind of like a little bit nervous because this is the first time that I've been kind of on the other side of interviewing. So, but I hope I'm here to, yeah, I'm here to enjoy y'all. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> no worries. It's yeah. going to be all chill. So, no, just be chill. Okay, <laughs> We're <okay>. good. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, can you tell us how long you've been with Yolo Cali and what program you were a part of? Yeah. So, I've been part of Yolo Cali since I think. 2016 and I started off as an office intern um and then through that just like getting to know like Vanessa and Hanan and like all the staff members and youth and teaching artists um I ended up starting like I started teaching at Barrett Park which is like now YOLO Lab um and so me and my partner and another artist named Najee um would lead a lot of like interesting like apothecary slash printmaking, textiles, bookmaking classes. Um, and then since then, I've just been like kind of just like a number one fan of Yolo Kali and just always excited and interested in seeing what Yolo Kali and the youth kind of do. Um, so yeah, so ever since then. That's really awesome to hear about and just seeing how like you really just started off as like an office intern. Like <laughs> how, how would you say that experience was? Oh my gosh, that that was a really great experience. Like, I mean, I knew about Yolo Kali through my partner. Um, and I like had met Vanessa. Oh, and his name is Joseph Mora. Um, and, you know, I had met like a lot of different people from Yolo Kali, like teaching artists, kind of just like in passing. Um, and then when I graduated with my undergrad, you know, I was kind of like in this panic mode where I was just like, I need to find a job really bad. And my partner was just like, oh my God, you should just hit up Vanessa. Maybe she might have something for you this summer. So then she did. And then I ended up like, I remember taking like, I think the 35th bus and I was like walking and I like was greeted by the boys and girls club and then like went up the stairs and it was just like, it was really electric and it was just really cool to kind of see like this gymnasium of like youth doing like street murals there was like for me it felt like a fortress of like radio and like this back area and then you know getting to be in the office with like Hanan and just kind of like all of those types of like little shenanigans that would happen in there you know it really influenced kind of like the way I think about education and art and then one of my first projects that I did um, for Yolo Gali was to create a zine 
of all of the murals, which was like celebrating 20 years of mural making. And so I had the chance to like, you know, take the bus, take photos of murals, interview like teaching artists and other like youth that were part of those murals. And like through that, I felt like I learned a lot about Yolokali um, through looking at archive and photography. So yeah, so it was, it was a really great experience and I think it influenced just kind of how I think about teaching and community and, um, and just like radical learning. Yeah. That is so mm-hmm. awesome to hear about, just like, you know, your experience at Yolo Kali. Like, it really seems like you, you know, like you really had like mm-hmm. such a great time being here. Based on your master thesis on Yolo Kali, uh, titled With All Our Might, Unpacking 25 Years of Black and Brown Memory with Yolo Kali Youth in Pilsen and Little Village, mm-hmm. where you dive into the 25 years of Yolo Kali youth history. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about your thesis? Yeah. So, you know, I was in grad school. I kind of didn't really know what exactly I was going to research. I knew that I was interested in like community-based art centers where like youth were kind of at center. And at the same time, I was taking a really cool class called Decolonizing Time Travel, where, you know, the main question was how do we kind of like decolonize an archive or history or like reimagine history um, where we put like black and brown stories kind of forward. Um, so there's a lot of really amazing scholars who like use critical fabulation where they kind of rewrite history through looking at archive. And so at the same time, Yolo Kali posted this really cool, I think they're celebrating their 25 years of, you know, existing and they posted an Instagram story or like a, I don't know, like a post that had like these archives from like late 90s, early 2000s. And it was so cool, like seeing just what Yolo Kali looked like back then. You know, there was a photo of a mural that, um, that I didn't realize, and it's on, it was on the 18th and Blue Iron building um, that, like, had, I guess, like, imagery of, like, Radio Arte and, like, a lot of, like, I guess, like, sonic agency that youth were doing. Um, and then later on, I think that was painted over with the mural with Salvador Jimenez, which is the um, immigration one that's there. Um, but I didn't know that there was a mural, like, underneath that. And that was so cool because it kind of, like you know, made me think like, oh my gosh, like I wonder what other like hidden treasures are kind of like underneath these walls or in like people's stories and stuff like that. Um, And then at the same time, I was reading a lot about Maria Cotera and she was doing a lot of oral histories about Chicanas um, from like the 60s and 70s. So, you know, I just started kind of thinking about, okay, how can I interview, you know, Yolo Kali youth, alumni, teaching artists, people who were staff, and just kind of learn more about like, you know, what were, what were teaching artists thinking about at this time? And, you know, how were they thinking about centering youth or even young people who were part of it in the very first iterations of Yolo Kali and how that influenced them like in their later lives. And then also just hearing about how Yolo Kali has shaped so much of like Chicago's landscape through like mural making and audio making and art making and performance. Um, and then just kind of seeing like the generations of different youth. So a lot of my thesis was interviewing people. Um, I did like a clay workshop that was a response towards the archives. And then, yeah, and then now I have a thesis that I still have to complete, but it's filled with a bunch of amazing stories that, yeah, that need to be shared with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's very awesome to hear. Like, I think, can you clarify something? Like, how long do thesis, like, take on, like, (laughs) I'm not really familiar on that. Like, how long do they take on, like, making or... Yeah, I mean, so my program, like, I went to SAIC for Art Ed, 
And, you know, your thesis can be like two years of you just really diving deep into something that you're really interested in. So, you know, I think my first year I had written my thesis proposal. So that was me like telling my advisors, like, this is what I want to research, which was about Yolokali. And like they loved it and thought it was amazing. And then so my next following year was just like interviews, research, looking up other scholars who are thinking about archive. Um, looking up like past programs where youth were like also kind of having autonomy um, and then writing a lot <laughs> which was like I think the hardest part for me because I'm not a writer um, and I, I you know I didn't grow up kind of thinking that I was going to get my master's like that's something that I just didn't imagine for myself um, so you know the whole process of, of research and, and doing scholarly work was just totally new to me so it was like yeah, I was kind of like a fish out of water, but it was great. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm still writing it, so still in the process. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's like a very long process, so it's like a lot of researching and things mm -hmm. like that. Like, can you tell me like what drew you specifically to research Yolokali history? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was just talking about it right now with Vanessa, and I think you know when you're doing your master's thesis, and I think especially if you're like person of color, a person who's like never really in like predominantly white institutions, like there is this pressure to feel like, oh my gosh, like I need to kind of like match up to like my other, like, you know, folks that are here like studying. But a lot of the times the things that you know the most are the things that are already surrounding you. And so, you know, I already knew that Yolokali was just like such an amazing space. I already knew all the people there. I already had formed these brilliant relationships with them. So I was just like, might as well just like do something about my community, about um, people like my friends and people that, you know, I've built all these relationships with. And then it's also, you know, I think, um, you know, when we're thinking about archive, um, it, let alone like black and brown stories are never really put into history. Like I think right now there is this shift where people are trying to insert a lot of um, histories that black and brown folks already know. Um, but let alone are there um, like histories about youth, like black around youth. And I felt like that was the part where I was really motivated to do my research where I was just like, young people have so much authority and especially black and brown youth and especially youth in Pilsen and Little Village. So, and I felt like there wasn't that much light on that. And so that's what really like motivated me to do it. Yeah. I, I think it's really awesome just knowing that you kind of took the initiative to like make the voices of black and brown youth mm -hmm. just known and like really putting like your research to like bringing it to light in, yeah. in a way so I think that's really awesome yeah um I think the next question is from Araceli yeah so thank you so much for sharing about your research yeah um another question on your research so while um doing your research on Yolokali did you notice any eras where there was a massive shift in the art produced or, you know, like the type of communities people were joining from mm -hmm. or the meaning or impact um, Yoli Kali had on their youth? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool when I think about like, you, you know, the whole history or the whole trajectory of Yoli Kali and just like the amount of shifts that were happening. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, it was based off of location. It was based off the folks that were running it. So like, you know, I think when you when Yolokali started, um, I felt like maybe it was more like art-centered, like kind of, you know, going into like traditional art making. 
Um, but when there was a shift in like maybe even directors, um, I felt like there was like a shift in now let's kind of experiment, let's kind of like expand the idea of art. So like thinking about performance, thinking about radio, um, audio, even like haunted houses, like a lot of that um, was just kind of expanding. And then, you know, when you think about how Yolo Kali was originally located in Pilsen and then later had to move to Little Village, you know, through my interviews, I learned that a lot of, um, a lot of people who were part of the Pilsen location ended up leaving, which meant that the Little Village location had to call in new people. So even that was like a total shift in like art and like the artists that were there. Um, and then even how Little Village is located near Little Village High School. So like the youth are different versus like Benito Juarez High School, which was close like in Pilsen in the original location. So I felt like there was like a lot of shifts. And even when we're talking about like what young people are interested at certain times, like early 2000s, I feel like there was a big like, you know, what, like young people wanted to do graffiti and wanted to learn how to like write and like all of that. So there's a lot of like street murals. And then now I feel like there's just a total shift in like, you know, where there's more digital photography or there's more things about like the garden right now. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of shifts. And I think the one thing I admire the most about Yolokali is the way that it's just so organic and is able to just be so responsive to like what young people want. And I feel like that is like really what, what makes it like a youth autonomous space. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's gone through so much because teens change, like change throughout the years. So yeah. Thank you for talking about some of the shifts. Um, another question, what were some constants or similarities that you saw uh, throughout the generations? Um, I would say like, <clears throat> I, think, I think one of the main constants, and I think it's still like, very much true, like, like even till now is like, <laughs> in this concept of like maybe being weird or different or feeling different. Um, as a young person, like a lot of the interviews that I did, you know, a lot of the youth that the well, they're not youth anymore; they're adults. Um, but a lot of the alumni, you know, told me like I joined Yola because I felt different from my families and I felt different from the kids at my school. And this was like the only space where I felt like, oh, you like that type of music or you like that type of art. Like, I, like they felt like they found like, I guess, camaraderie or like solidarity within like their own weirdness. And I think Yolokali has kind of like trademarked that now. Um, and then now, like I still see it um, like in the programming that happens where it's just like, you know, there, it is like a little bit different. It's kind of like this, like I said, like gymnasium of just like experimental, like art making, radio making, um, where there's, there's not really like a strict structure of like what's being taught or what like young people are interested in. And I still feel like, hey, you look alias, kind of still a bunch, like we're all weirdos and we're all different. We're all kind of like interested in art and like music and film or anything like that. Um, so I feel like that for sure is like, Yolokali has consistently been like a safe space for young people to feel welcome to be different um, or feel like an outsider, but they find community in this space. Yeah. Thank but, you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I really like how you've talked about the different changes so far of Yolokali, that just like bringing really the road back to like the current youth and like reminding people like. You know, Yolokali's history is our history. Mm -hmm. uh, now as current Yolokali students, um, and knowing our history is so crucial. 
So what type of archive does Yolokali have and why are archives important, especially for black and brown youth? Yeah, so, um, you know, thinking like literally like tangibly, Yolokali has, I think like various forms of archives, which is kind of how like a lot of like popular archives, especially like in black and brown communities are, like they're either done through like photography. So I know like a lot of the people that I interviewed were like, I think I have like some photos like in my parents' house or something like that. Or I think I have a CD of like me doing poetry at Yolokali, like located somewhere like at my grandparents' garage or something like that. Um, so a lot of like these archives, like tangible things are located like in different people's houses. They're also located in a digital server. Um, you know, I think you know, Vanessa and I think like a lot of like, um, like Hanan or like even Whitney has been working really hard to like archive a lot of these photography um, segments and stuff. Um, Stephanie's really great at archiving like the SoundCloud radio things. So that like, that for sure is like, it exists and it's kind of like everywhere, but that's kind of the nature of Yolokali and it makes sense that, you know, these archives are like that. Um, but a lot of the archives and history honestly belong in the people that have gone through it. Um, so people's stories, people's histories and legacies and their memories are really important. And so that was kind of one of the main reasons why I did like a bunch of interviews was because there's just so much like knowledge that people had. So yeah, so the archive exists in and you all like youth right now and youth in the past, artists in the present and um, just the whole community. So it's kind of connected. Um, and then to answer your last question about why is it so important? Well, I mean, history is so important, like just in general and like, you know, to have to insert histories of, like I said, like histories of black and brown youth that aren't generally acknowledged all the time or even taken seriously. Um, that's important. And I think it, I think it shapes like, like, it, yeah, like you said, it's important for us to know our history. It's important for us to know our own legacy because I think that shapes your identity, that shapes the way you kind of like navigate, you know, your own future. And it also just, it's a really amazing, you know, tool as like social justice artists to reimagine our future. Um, and a lot of that involves knowing about the past. So that's why I think it's really important for it. Yeah, for black and brown stories to be told, and especially youth ones. Yeah, that's so important. Um, just like archiving our, you know, our present so that, you know, we can look back when we're, you know, when yeah. we're older. Do you have, like, you know, through all your, all your interviews, do you have any, like, tips um, for current youth, mm -hmm. either, like, in your locale or just in general, yeah. who, you know, may want to archive, you know, what's going on, yeah. or, you know, can, like, start archiving our present? Yeah, I mean, oh my god, that's just such a great question. Um, I mean, it's just like, you know, I think like capturing each other's stories, I think are so important. Like, you know, maybe even taking time to like reflect what like a certain program like was like, like as a group. And I think that just like builds community. Um, I think also just like recording, taking photos and taking pictures and recording everything that y'all do. Like there's so much fantastic things that y'all do all the time and, and maybe storing it in a safe space. Um, and then also thinking how, how can we make this archive accessible to others? Um, so that way people in the future, or people in the past can also um, access it, which I think is really important. You know, you don't wanna hide your archive in a, 
and a server that nobody can access, right? Like you want it to be public for community members that maybe are not even part of Yolokali, that maybe are just like adjacent to it. So, yeah. Do you, do you think like people archiving, you know, history on their own is, you know, as important as like more institutionalized archives? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like, you know, institutional archives and just like, you know, the it's kind of like the bigger problems and it's part of like a section of my thesis where I kind of expand on is just the problematic of archives and how a lot of it is, you know, we think about museums and like, you know, things are stored into glass cabinets and things are kind of like put away or tucked where like not everybody can access it and that's a very big problem. Um, and so a lot of scholars are thinking really creatively like in their work and collaborating with artists to kind of like reframe and reimagine archives. Um, so it's like, you know, I've seen artists lead like a, like a workshop in a park where they're like, bring family photography, we'll scan it. And then we'll also like have a, like a typewriter there so you can type like write all of your parents' stories. So there's like a lot of really cool re, like archival reimaginings happening. Um, but yeah, like those stories are so important and you know, they, they haven't, had the chance, and, and, and it's also, I wouldn't want them to end up in an institutional archive. I would want them to be in a community archive. So, um, so yeah, you're, you're bringing up a lot of really great like questions about archives, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, to continue about more information about archives, I think Sam had another question. Right, so when researching the archives, like what kinds of media do you wish were preserved that aren't really mm -hmm. preserved, I guess yeah. you can say? I mean, I think like, yeah, when we think about archives, I think we think automatically to photography, and that is a great way to think about archives, and it's a great way to, like, represent, like, history, but I think for sure, like, for me, because I'm kind of, like, into oral histories, like, I think that, like, is a method that um, is really important, but also, like, and, you know, thinking about Yolokali's archive and how you all have done both, like, art, like, visual art making, and through like murals um, and street art. Um, but y'all have also done like sonic like art making like through airwaves and like audio. And so I think like audio and video and like new media is like maybe something that's kind of neglected. Um, so I would like to see that in, in archives. And then also just like ephemeral moments, like small moments, you know, things in archive don't have to be like these monolithic items that like are rare or anything like it can be really small things that are just like every day like I don't know the Yolokali horse butt like that is like a big thing for me that I would love to see in an archive so yeah yeah for sure I definitely also agree you know, I wish there was more of like those very like a, I guess like a variety of archives mm -hmm. that aren't restricted to just photography yeah yeah definitely and then and then archives also should like stay in people's homes too, like where they belong. Um, the scholar that you mentioned, Maria Cortera, who was someone I referenced a lot, um, does a lot of like, quote unquote, like janitorial archives where it's like the archives stay in the homes that she's interviewed and she brings like a scanner with her and like scans them and like like a big camera and like, you know, photographs them. So I, I really like that method. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing to hear. Um, now I'll pass it on to Diego, who has a question as well. Okay, hello, Sarita. Hello. Sarita. Um, you said that you, I'm assuming you interviewed a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people, so 
it was over through Zoom, it was over Zoom. You met their art. You met at their art studios. Mm-hmm. Even personally, went into the, their homes. Mm-hmm. Is there any like story that stood out to you the most? Uh, that, like really resonated with you? Yeah. yeah, you know. Oh my gosh, I was I was thinking about that question because there is just so many stories that I think like have influenced me. Like down from like people like hearing people's stories of how they even heard about Yolokali or like how they came. Like I think in one story I heard that like. Um, they just like knocked on the door and then they were like, hey, can I like join? And then like the person that told them like, yeah, just come to my office was like William Estrada and was just like, okay, like you're too old to like join, but you can like maybe do this. And then like their experience of like first seeing Yolo Kali or like even how like people, like the first time they've ever done graffiti was through like a teaching artist, like like hinting to them like, hey, there's spray paint at the basement, but I'm not going to say nothing. Um, and so, like, all of those stories are, like, amazing and just, like, really great to hear. And then there's also stories that, like, like for me are really important. Like, I just got done doing a transcription of Miguel Aguilar, and he was telling me a lot about, like, education pedagogies and how, like, there was, like, a chalkboard that, like, they would, like, write down different classes that youth were interested in and then kind of, like, do a process of elimination and then kind of, like, do those classes and see how it went or how they're thinking about, you know, youth autonomy, like, let's buy all the bean bags, let's make spaces, like, comfortable for young people. So, like, those stories are also really important. And then just, like, the small details, like, I was interviewing Vicky Martinez, and she was telling me that, like, I loved seeing all the graffiti on the trash cans, and that made me stay at Yolo Gali. So, you know, there's, there's just too many stories <laughs> to kind of, like, think about um but you know I think I'm interested in like a lot of the mundane and like a lot of the everyday so um so yeah it's a lot of a lot of funny stories like even hearing stories of how like the basement of the old original Yolokali building was like haunted and scary um and and I don't know what that space looks like so it's really cool for me to kind of like imagine it in my mind like what that was like like it was a freezer door and you could get locked into it and like and all of these things but yeah, I'm not gonna get into detail with that, but <laughs> but yeah, those stories are so great. And just hearing people talk about like, you know, I think I was having an interview with Gabriela Ibarra and she was telling, Gabriela Ibarra, and she was telling me how like the first time she met a lot of people and she's told herself like, these are gonna be my lifelong friends. And so, you know, hearing that was just so amazing just to kind of see, like, the influence that Yolo Gali has had, like, beyond art making and into, like, people's lives and relationships that they have with um, people till this day. So, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, for me, personally, it makes me be like, oh, because sometimes I'll be, I get caught up in my brain. Yeah. And I don't realize that people have been doing this way before me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you speak about it, I'm like, I'm really grateful that you're here to tell us, like, yeah. All these things yeah. about what happened, like <laughs> that have been archived. But yes. yeah, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And for my last question, how do you feel Yolo Kali has impacted you? Oh my gosh. I think I think there's just so many like ways that Yolo Kali has impacted me. I think I think it's definitely made my community grow. Like when I first came to Chicago in twenty fourteen, I was really scared that I was you know, coming into a city that I didn't know anyone. And so, like, once I met my partner, once he introduced me to folks at Yolokali, and then just, like, getting to know everybody, and then now kind of coming to this point, like, and reflecting back, 
Like, I'm just like, whoa, this is such an amazing community of artists and, like, educators and youth and, like, alumni who, like, you know, we're part of Bilkali and now adults and, and just being part of that community, like, I think it's just impacted the way I think about, about friendship, about, um, about education, about art programming, about Pilsen and Little Village, like, through hearing everybody's stories, like, I feel like, you know, more knowledgeable about, you know, what's happened in the past. Um, and it's just really informed, like, my identity. It's, it's taught me how I want to navigate, like, relationships with people. It's taught me, like, what I value most in working with community. And, you know, like, a lot of, like, impossibles are possible through, like, the friendships and, like, relationships that I've built. Like, I think it's allowed me to have space to imagine, like, where, like what type of work I want to do in the future um, and what type of work that I would want youth to do in the future. So, yeah. yeah. All right, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it hearing from you. Um, and we just heard from Sarita Garcia, who shared with us such wonderful information about Yolo Cali history and her master thesis. We really enjoyed our conversation. Do you have any last remaining comments or anything you want to say? Um, I just want to say thank you for providing the space for me to talk to y'all. Like, this is really amazing. I mean, just kind of knowing that y'all are interested in Yolo Gali's history. And, um, and I think that's great. I think, you know, like, like, it's so important that, you know, I think we continue kind of reciting these stories. Um, and it's amazing to see that y'all are doing that. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, we will hear more from Sarita later on, so stay tuned after these promo breaks. See ya! For those that are tuning in now, you're listening to WhatsApp on Lumpen Radio, WLPN, LP 105.5 FM Chicago. On today's show, it's giving shape. Currently, we're hosting a pop-up youth radio at the National Museum of Mexican Art. This, po- this past hour, we heard from Sarita Garcia and Carlos Tortolero for some brief history of Yolo Cali of the importance of archiving. And also heard an interview from Marina Alvarez talking about the exhibition giving shape here at the National Museum of Mexican Art. Now we have another guest coming up. Let's give it up for Izzy Ortiz. With of course, Maru Araceli and myself. Take it away, Maru. Hi everyone, I'm Maru, pronouns they, them, don't forget it, with Araceli and Kid. Today we are here in my home community of Pilsen at the wonderful National Museum of Mexican Art, and we are joined in conversation with our esteemed guest, Yolo Cali alum and artist. May you please introduce yourself? I'm Izzy Ortiz. (laughs) My pronouns are they, them, don't forget it, I like that. Thank you, and we're so excited that you're here on What's Up. Today we'll be talking more about Izzy's artwork currently on show at the Giving Shape exhibit here at the museum and their experiences growing up and creating art as part of your Locali Arts Reach here in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Izzy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to get started, we wanted to ask you an icebreaker question to really get into the understanding of your mind as an artist. So... Your art encapsulates and brings to the forefront everyday life and often overlooked human connections. How has art helped you process heavy feelings personally? And what is your favorite feeling or emotion to create art about? 
Okay. The nitty gritty. <laughs> This is, this is deeper than an iceberg or whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, huh, let me think. <laughs> I feel like art is like, like alchemy. I'm transmuting something and through that I'm able to like let it go. I've been thinking a lot about closing chapters and what that means and just like trying to reflect on all of my time, like since I started at Yolokali and like had the opportunity to assist or teach. And I'm just like, I haven't really processed, <laughs> you know, but I'm learning and my art helps me do that. Without it, I don't think I would have been able to experience so much joy, you know, and um, probably like anger, love and um, sadness. I think that those are like really powerful emotions and I just like have all these images in my mind that I want to bring forth that try to like, like kind of like rip myself open and like show you like what this, this thing kind of like feels like metaphorically. I, I love metaphors. Um, yeah. Really, I really liked how you said kind of like rips you open. Um, it reminds me of like that art piece, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's like made out of Lego, and like this guy is just basically opening his chest, and it's just like, that That just kind of like brought me there, and it's really, really cool, like the imagery uh, that you're talking about. Yeah, um, it's like transmutation. Yeah. It's magic. I want to kind of ask about like, you know, your history making art. Can you tell me a little bit about what your experience as a young artist has been? You know, you've been able to create for yourself and paint the earth and city with your visions. So just, you know, a little bit about that and maybe a, a little bit also about your early days with the lizard tag. <laughs> How did you find out about that? <laughs> <laughs> very, very thorough research. <laughs> that wasn't even my first name, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, honestly, like, whoa, it's just... It's been so, such a long, well, such an awesome journey, honestly, like, starting with graffiti. And, like, I think, I think of, like, why I, I really gravitated towards graffiti, and it's, like, <laughs> like, I didn't even understand it when I first saw it as a kid. Like, I didn't know how to ask about it, you know? Like, um, my uncle had this black book, and he had, like, really cool sketches in there, and he would tell me stories of, like, when he was... Do, growing up and he went to like Gage Park High School and he was like break dancing and doing graffiti like all up in the school like climbing the rope and catching tags like up on the <laughs> ceiling or whatever in the gym room and uh, I just was like really it's like magnetized or something you know like I was driven towards it and I think about it now and it's like your name like just you being here like that has intrinsic value that you can't put a number on you do graffiti you do that shit for free, you know? You just do that shit because you want to, because you need to, because you feel like it, or, you know, like, because your friends are doing it, you know? There's just, like, it's, it's unlimited, you know? You can have such a thorough, like, crazy experience with it. And that always, like, was pretty grounding for me when I've gotten into, like, low places or low points, and I'm like, why do, why is my art important? Like, am I important? And it's like, like, of course you are, you know? You're important, you're important. Like, we matter. And our expression, like, what we have to say, how we're experiencing the world, like, this 
it is history. Exactly. And I feel like outside of the art scene, like there's so much, I don't know, just like there's so much negativity around like graffiti and like mm. people who, you know, are artists that do graffiti compared to like muralists. I feel like muralists are way more celebrated. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that comparison? Um, dude, public space, the fact that the only way to be seen or represented is if the business pays you and that willingness from a business to do that is like, we want to be connected to the community. Like that's good for our business. And it's just like, that's so crazy. Like the fact that we can't just be outside and like show who we are. And you know, like it's the same thing with like ownership and like land, like you can't own land. And these are just buildings or walls, you know? Yeah, so. Definitely, and, and, and I, I do share that as well. Like it's, it's just something that we need to understand that it's art, right? It's, it's everywhere, right? It's, it's what makes Pilsen, it's what makes Little Village, it's what makes all these communities here in the city of Chicago. On the topic of art, specifically um, street art, it's a staple of Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Especially here in Pilsen. What can you tell us about your process of creating a mural or public art in general? Um, let me think. Well, <laughs> man, I don't know what I was drawing one time when I was a kid. I was like, I think I was drawing naked people. And I, did, I was drawing naked adults, and I was a child. And I was like, I don't know what they look like, but like, I was imagining it, you know? And <laughs> my dad found that, and he was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like, why are you drawing these things? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, you need to draw things that are nice. And I was like, okay, <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, <laughs> okay, but human bodies are just bodies, you know? <laughs> like, that's, that's nice, that's fine. But then I just, like, remembered it because <laughs> I, I used to make, like, depressing art, dude. Like, I started out at Louder Than a Bomb, which was, like, that was one of the first places where I was performing in front of people and, like, sharing my art with people, you know, through, through word. And... Man, <laughs> like as a kid that went through a lot of hardship, that was the only place that I was able to like take that. And then I didn't, I don't know that, or, you know, the organization didn't really provide support for us to process those feelings and those deep memories that we were like unearthing from within ourselves. And um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> my bad ADHD vibes. <laughs> so I was like, um, my, my poems were really like sad and I didn't like that, you know, after a while I was like, man, this is heavy. Like I take this home with me, I carry it around. I'm like trying to memorize it, like, you know? And so um, I remember I saw uh, a poet from Northside College Prep and I wish I remembered their name, but they like said the funniest poem. Like it was about like having a crush or something and like falling in love, but it was like funny and it was touching and it was real and it was honest and it was just like so enjoyable. And that day I was like, what? We can make art that's like, makes you feel like this? <laughs> like that's crazy. And so I like moving forward, I was like, I wanna create art that brightens my day, that brings like, um, just like good feelings into the world and like tries to encapsulate like this energy or like vision that I have of the future of reality or like what's happening right now, you know? 
So I try when I'm making murals or designs, um, I try to make things that I think will like give life. It's so interesting to hear about your process. Thank you for, for sharing. An another question that goes more towards your history with Yola Kali. So you were part of the program for some time, um, creating art and working alongside friends and you know building community. How do you think this experience has shaped you as a person and as an artist? Well, Yolo Kali was probably the first place that I saw where students could become teachers or assistant teachers, then teacher, and then, you know, like just staff or just, you know, like I saw, I saw another pipeline. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, we got options? Like. <laughs> and so... Um, it allowed me to to dream or to have like more new or to have new ideas about like what life could look like because my parents are like lawyer doctor which one are you gonna be you know? and I'm like I'm a rock star you know oh <laughs> uh, yeah so going to Yolo Kali I, it like really started to open my mind and being around people who were seeking knowledge and new ideas like artists are visionaries you know like we extract the world and we freaking <laughs> compress it and <laughs> we're, we're exploring new ways of life and that's really amazing so to meet like fellow young people that are having the same ideas like I'm not I wasn't always the way I am right now you know like my friends really influenced me and like pushed me and challenged me and and like encouraged me to just keep going you know and that's something that community like we need that. We're social creatures. It's important. Exactly, yeah. So what is it for you to go from an artist that was a part of Yolo Kali to teaching an introduction to Procreate class as part of last summer's Apple uh, Creative Studio? <laughs> <laughs> that was, whoo, yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, I'm still processing that, you know? Like, it's hard to wrap my head around, like, like they're being, like I'm not a youth anymore <laughs> and now I have, I get to interact with the youth and and like I don't feel much older than y'all, you know, like I think you guys are super cool, <laughs> you know, and I, I think I admire the work that you guys are doing here and and yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a lot to wrap my head around. That's true, that like change can be so so fast in such a, like, a little bit of time, even though it might be years, like you'll look back and you're like, wait, like, like I was just thinking about how I graduated high school like five years ago and I was like, what? <laughs> I feel like that happened like the other, literally yesterday. Uh -huh. So it's like wild how, how time just moves I know. so fast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it gets intense. Like it gets faster every single year. Um, but yeah, I don't know, it's, it's cool to know that people know my work or like are familiar with it like that is a insane feeling because I don't really like put my my artwork for sale or like do I haven't I haven't tackled the business aspect of it quite yet you know and so like for people to to stick with me and see my work grow and evolve and like interact with me online you know a lot of a lot of people message me and we have like some some sweet conversations from time to time and I don't know, like, that's just, like, I'm still, like, what the heck? Like, this is my reality, you know? 
that can be very shocking sometimes, <laughs> but it's really cool. And I definitely enjoy your art. So Thank you. It's like so cool. And I definitely see a lot of even my childhood in some of the paintings that you've created. And especially for me being trans, it's so important to see other, you know, trans artists just making it, especially, you know, from Yolokali, from Chicago. I grew up in Pilsen, you know, Pilsen. Uh, and, you know, I just, I really wanted to ask, like, what it means to you to be a trans non-binary artist and part of, you know, the Giving Shape exhibit here at the museum. It means a lot to me, for real. Like, it's, it's just a huge, it's a huge feat, you know, like a, a huge, like, it's a huge milestone in my life. <laughs> and, and it's, dude, like, what? Life is crazy, you know? And now I'm like, well, I need to dream a bigger dream, you know? Like, I remember when I was in high school, I made, like, a little bucket list. And I was like, I, you know, like, um, at this age, I want to be able to, like, travel or, like, leave the state or, like, leave the country. And... And I, like, these were things that I wanted to do, so I, I would, like, find any sort of, like, opportunity to get there, you know? And, and, like, the first time I left the country, I was, like, the first time I left the continent, <laughs> you know? Like, I was 16, 17 years old, and I won an essay competition at school. And I went to China. Oh, I was, I was on, on the Great Wall in high school. I had to, like tell Vanessa I wasn't going to be able to make it to class, you know, it was like in the summertime. And, and, you know, it's just like, like now having artwork in a national museum of Mexican art, like, dude, what? That's, that's where I come from. Like, that's me, you know. Um, it's, it's, a, it's huge. And I feel super inspired, especially like also being trans, like being non-binary, like the the possibilities are endless, you know, and, and it's like, we can really bring forth any world that we want. Like, I remember the first non-binary person I met who used they, them pronouns, like, they were the only person that I knew or had ever heard of. I had to like, look it up online, like, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, I, I feel like this resonates with me, you know, and I feel like every person who stepped into those pronouns or who like, who stepped into this identity, like, we all together like single-handedly changed the landscape of what the world looks like today. Like that's huge, that's big. And like, it's so, oh, it could be so frustrating some days, you know, um, to live outside of like heteronormative identities. And we're, <laughs> we're challenging like ideas of, of womanhood and manhood and I'm like my identity is ever evolving you know I'm a shapeshifter I'm mm. infinite like you cannot put a cap on this you know and and I feel like I don't like we're humans we're spiritual creatures like we're magic you know and it's like how language like these are just words you know like throw them all away and make some new ones you know like we can really just do so much together what do you hope your legacy as part of your locali will be? Hmm. 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 <laughs> I guess I, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not so sure yet. Um, but I do. I just hope that people know, like, 
that we're like seeing each other, you know, like I see you and I feel like you see me. That's so important, especially, I don't know, just nowadays, especially go after COVID, after all the separation that we've gone through, it's so important to remember that there are people in the world that see us, even when we when we are feeling low mm-hmm. or, or lonely. And I think that's really important. Like, yes. I, I, I like that. Um, yes. What do you hope, like, Yolokali will grow to be, like, overall? Well, I don't know. I, the sky's the limit. You guys have been pushing it, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I'm, like, looking to you guys to see what's next. <laughs> You know, like, this is amazing, the fact that you are all on Lumpin' Radio and have all these microphones. We're recording in the museum. Like, <laughs> this is amazing, you know? And, and I'm, like, taking a back seat and learning from you young people, seeing what you guys will bring forth. That's so nice. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for just being here with us. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure everybody else, too, has Definitely. learned a lot and has been really inspired. You know, we really appreciate your time. Just you talking about your experiences is so, like, you know, we can, like, think about it later on, think about our own place and, and our own art, too. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Do you have any last words? Thank you for having me. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and it feels vulnerable, but, I mean, I, I really enjoy, like, being vulnerable with you guys. You know, I think like that's why teaching at Yolo Kali has felt so comfortable every time. And like even the Procreate program. And I know some of you are here now from that. And that's sick. <laughs> you know, like we connected and we're here and we're here again. And that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Izzy. Thank you. We loved hearing thank everything you. you had to say. I love your questions. <laughs> To everybody tuning in, this was our interview with Izzy Ortiz, an artist and alum. This is WhatsApp on WLPN, LP Lumpen Radio, 105.5 FM Chicago. This is its giving shape. We just wrapped up our interview and we're really excited to introduce our next guest, Joseph Josue Mora. And this is me, Maru, they them pronouns, don't forget it. Araceli. And Diego. <laughs> okay, hello everybody. Welcome back. My name is Diego and I'm joined with Maru and Araceli. Uh, we're joined with a Mexican born and Chicago raised former YOLO alumni, Joseph Jose Mora. First off, it's an honor to be here with you and yeah, we huh. hope you're having a fantastic day. Yeah, no, it's an honor to be here and to be invited. Thanks. Would you like to tell the people who don't know who you are what you do? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am a multidisciplinary artist. I do, um, you know, printmaking, sculpture, artist books, um, drawings and prints. A, a lot of the work that I do is, you know, it talks about how I, I, tr- I try to portray like the nuances of me being a, do- uh, a documented artist. Uh, or just person in general, um, and whether it's like a documented artist or, uh, sorry, documented person or an undocumented person, um, and, and, and using those experiences and my career as an art handler or gallery worker to, to portray issues of immigration um, and, and like the difficulties that, that, come, that, that come with um, being in that status 
but also just talking about the the labor that that goes into um, a, a, a lot of the un, like a lot of the unseen labor in immigrants um, communities, um, but also tying it back to the art world also, because I, I don't think there's a lot of um, uh, th there's not a lot of conversations about undocumented artists in the art world or even immigrant um, issues in the art world. Um, I, th I think, um, or I, I maybe I should say in a lot of like art world space, like white spaces, because <laughs> you know, you know, th there is the you know, the art world does exist in Mexico, in Latin America, here in Chicago. Um, and I think we talk about those issues because we're familiar with them, but I don't think um, the white spaces really talk about those issues. So, yeah. So, well, mm -hmm. well, I just want to give you your flowers because I think it's really like amazing and inspirational what you do, like speaking. Thank you. Thank you. Like, I'm undocumented myself, so mm -hmm. when I realized, mm -hmm. oh, you're talking about issues <laughs> that I, like, see, well, everybody here sees, like, they see yeah. it firsthand. Everybody sees, nobody sees, like, nobody sees, like, the janitor cleaning at night, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. unfortunately, like, like nobody sees like the hard work that goes into everything. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nobody pays attention to certain things that you highlight. And I really just want to give you your flowers for that. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So like, when did you join YOLO? I, I joined YOLO in 2010, uh, summer of 2010. Um, I think, well, I signed up in the spring. And then my first class was in summer of 2010. Um, and that was a mural class uh, for the Wall of Hope. Um, here in Pilsen, it was like two blocks away from the, the Yolokali building here back then. And um, yeah, that was my first class. And uh, there was two, two avenues that I was introduced to Yolokali. I think I was an eighth grader at the time. And... Um, um, Salvador Jimenez, who's also in the exhibition um, right now, um, he came over to my house. Um, he was friends with someone at the time, and, and he came over to my house and told, and my mom was like, oh, my son really likes art. Um, and he was, I think, at the time, do, um, teaching the mural um, class that, that did the um, Declaration of Immigration mural. Um, and so he, he just told my mom, like, oh, yeah, there's Yolokali. Like, I think in a few years, you know, Joseph will be able to join. And at that time, I was really focused on, like, I just want to, like, I was going into high school, and I'm like, I'm going to do sports, and I'm going to, like, be a football player. Um, and I did do that, but then um, later on in high school, there was, the, the, there was a friend who was at Yolokali, and I was just curious of, like, what they were going to go to, and I just you know, went and they introduced me to the staff. And I think the first person I met at Yolokali was Deborah Garcia. Um, and I signed up that, like, that same day. I didn't even think about it, didn't even ask my parents. I just said, like, yes, like, I'm going to sign up. Um, and so that was for the, the, I signed up for a class in the summer, and that was for the, the Wall of Hope mural. And that's where I started and started to make friends or just like try to see like what was going on. Um, I also never painted, I mean I had, but like this was a different type of painting, large scale. Um, and the instructor was uh, Chucho, um, tattoo and graffiti artist. And, um, and 
I think he was also gonna fire me. <laughs> he, he actually told me he's like, I'm gonna like let you go of this program if you like really don't learn how to paint. And I was like, whoa. Um, and I, I think that was just his way of being like, you know, like um, because I'm also a person who 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 like loves to I, I I think back then I had a lot of energy <laughs> and I just like was the party of, of of the class or like you know the joker and um and I think I also again like I didn't have that painting background so I was just opting out to do like the small things so like all the small butterflies that you see on that mural like I did them and so I, th I think what Chucho wanted me to do is like to really like learn how to blend colors learn how to like mix colors and I was, I think, too intimidated by that. And so I think he just said that to, like, put, you know, like, you know, just, like, really, in a way, inspire me. <laughs> a different type of, like, hate, love, inspiring. Um, or, you know. Um, but, yeah, so that, that was, like, my first class and the first time I joined and the first time I met a lot of um, the people that I know now and, and that I remember always. So. You were also on your story awake, correct? I was, yeah. I, and I was trying to remember how, how that, all, that, all that happened. I think at the same time, I was listening, you know, I think podcasts became really popular after 2012. Um, so I was listening to, to a lot of podcasts and I was like, huh, like what if I just interview artists that are around, that I know and that are from Pilsen, that are from Little Village and just get to know like their practice? and share it with people. And so I wanted to do that. And I think at the same time, I don't know if Yolokali or Stephanie Manriquez was building the, the radio station. And I don't know, I think it just like, we just crossed paths and I said like, hey, like I'm interested in this. And they're like, cool. And I don't know if they were already developing that. And so me and I think another person were the first two students for Your Story, Your Way. Um, how I remember it, I don't know. I, I hope that's right. I don't want to say that I'm the first student. <laughs> but but like that, that's how I remember it. Um, and because I, I, I say that because all the classes, it was just me and another student. And sometimes it would only be, only be me. Um, yeah, so I, I was part of that. <laughs> you, you said that you, you, were in, like, you were intimidated by like, being like the forefront. You drew like the butterflies on the edges, right? Yeah, for, for that mural. Do you think that your story... It highlights youth's issues. It puts mm -hmm. their issues in the forefront. Do you mm -hmm. think it made you more comfortable with putting your issues in the forefront? I think, yeah, I, th I think I was thinking about like how Yolokali helped me be the person that I am now. And I think Yolokali gave me that autonomy of first be being weird. But I think from that, that means many things, like actually being weird, but then not actually just being yourself. I, I, think, I think that's what, it, what, what that really means. And so I think Yolokali in general, from the, my classmates, from my friends, from the staff, from the teaching artists, I think they were that, they gave me that like power and that um, the okay to, to be myself and to give me that confidence. Um, I remember, um, I think I was about to graduate high school and that's like when you age out of Yolokali. And I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't gonna be able to take classes anymore. And I forget if it was Vanessa or, or Brenda Hernandez who asked me like, hey, do you wanna teach? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm just a high schooler first. And I, um, 
And like, I never taught before. And so I'm like, why are you offering me a job that like I've never done? And I think that was just them saying, <laughs> sorry. I think that was just them believing in what I could do. And, and it's not to say that nobody else believed in, in what I could do, but I think it was just, um, I, I think that's just the power that Yoro brings. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, and so I, I accepted the job, and that's kind of where I was like, oh, like, I want to be an art teacher because then too, um, a lot of the art teachers that I had first were, um, I think before I had a lot, like a lot of, it was the first time that I saw teachers that looked like me and one that was like undocumented also. And so that was like very, really inspiring and, and, I, and I had a lot of inspiring YOLO teachers. And so I wanted to be that person for, for like, the, the young kids that I was going to be teaching um, with. Um, and so I, I TA'd with Chema Scandal, who like, taught me how to, like, I think taught me how to, want, I think he taught me how to then become a professional artist. <laughs> you know, because Yolo taught me, I think, how to, how to teach, and then the, the educators, the teaching artists, um, and Chema specifically, um, taught me like what, how to be a, a working artist. Um, Cause I remember always asking him like, oh, you're doing this or like, how did you do that? Like, um, where do you sell your work? Um, how much do you price it? And I still have those questions now, but it was the introduction to that world that I then said like, I wanna be an, an artist, like a working artist also, a full-time working artist. Um, and so, and so, yeah, so I think, like, Yolokali fosters a lot of great people to, to inspire others and, and, and just to, to believe, and they believe in everybody that, that comes through, through their doors. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So thank you so much for those answers, honestly. Yeah. Like, almost made me emotional, too, hearing <laughs> your story, because, you know, you're, like, what, one of the first in, in the program that we're currently doing, we're interviewing yeah. you. Like, that's a whole, like, you know, life cycle, you know, moment. So that's just so cool. And, yeah. you know, just it also makes me think about, like, my first time being part of, you know, your story, your way, and that mm -hmm. one day we can share these stories with people who come in later after mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I wanted to, to ask a bit more about, like, um, how your locali, how the different programs, the artists, and just yourself as well and your progression in art, how that helped you identify or helped you develop your identity as a young artist and the kind of um, artworks that you create even now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think um, your locali taught me to, to, kind of, to go against what people were telling me on what artwork I should be making. So I think... After, like, in, in college, um, or even some friends, um, um, 
and and then going into you know the school of the Art Institute of Chicago, you know, I think I was trying to be pigeonholed as the Mexican artist and like drawing and making work about um, you know La Virgen de Guadalupe or Frida or like and I think that time too there was a really huge um, interest in like com- you know, that commodity that comes from putting Frida on a tote bag and stuff like that. So so I was like, no, I'm not, I am Mexican and I am an artist, but my work shouldn't, doesn't have to look like that. Like I can be a contemporary artist and also too, because a lot of in the contemporary art history, um, we just hear about like, you know, artists who are from Europe or artists who, um, are just, you know, not in Mexico. Um, there's a very handful that are, that are my favorite, but I think they're my favorite because they're the, like, the only four, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and there's more coming out. And so I think, yeah, Yolokali um, re- really taught me to, to, to just, like, be myself. And I, th- I think in the end, that's... Be, be myself in my artwork, be myself in, in like, my persona. Um, and, and yeah, so yeah, that I think that that's like what you'll probably help me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing so much about your journey and being open with us today. Um, we kind of wanted to dive more into your, your time at Yolokali and kind of, you know, I think what has been like the biggest thing that you've learned or you've taken away from your time and your experience at Yolokali? Hmm. I think it's youth autonomy um, or just student-driven programs. Um, currently, I, I work for, I'm, I work at my, the school that I graduate, the School of the Institute of Chicago, but I am the staff advisor for a youth, a student-run gallery. So, and this student-run gallery started in 1994, kind of around the time that Yolokali also started. When, when, when I like supervise the gallery and the students, I really think back on like how Yolokali runs. And it's really ran on the idea of like, okay, what are the interests of the students? What are the students telling us? Um, what do they need? Um, and so, and so, I, and so th- that's the way I manage the gallery um, at, at site galleries um, at, at the school because it is led and ran, ran by the, the students there. So like if they tell me like, hey, we don't see representation in, in this um, department, then I try to figure out like how to help them and, and, um, and just really listen to their, to their voices um, and really let them organize the gallery also. I'm just there as like a support. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think I think the, one of the biggest things that I've learned um, from Yolokali or that I take away from Yolokali also is, is just like um, student autonomy um, for, for student-led projects. I think those, those types of projects make, makes the things um, run. Um, yeah, I'm, I'll just stay there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I definitely agree. How do, you think how do you think Yolo has influenced your connection to the community around you? I think Yolokali being in Pilsen at the time when I started really helped me um, just question like what was around me and who was around me. I remember after 
class um, across the street, there were some artists that were just hanging out there, and they were older artists. They like they could like they're probably my dad's age, like artists in that type of community around, and Yolokali being right next to all that. You know, it just allowed me to ask questions and visit others, other other artists' studio, or just like walk around and look at other art, um, but also see how past or current um, teaching artists and their present projects. Um, so, like, I think a lot about like how I learned from Maria Gaspar, who was like a student and also like a, I think a teacher here at Yolo, um, and the work that she does now is not mural making, because I went to school thinking I was going to be a muralist forever. Um, but then learning um, about like her projects, that public art doesn't have to be murals. It could be, you know, programming um, in the park. Um, it could be, you know, using performance to talk about a really se serious issue like, uh, like the jail or Cook County or like William Estrada. Um, you know, public art can be driving around with like an art cart to, to do a pop-up workshop or like um, Miguel Aguilar's um, um, Graffiti Institute, right? So like that is a way of being available for the public. And so learning about all like their, their ways of, of making art um, and their practice um, just really gave me a different sense um, of, of what I could do and, and and I think, yeah, so like the, the teaching artists, the students, um, and I think at the time, me being uh, a student here in Pilsen uh, with Yolokali, just I was able to see all that in the moment. So that I, I'm really privileged to have like witnessed a lot of, a lot of those projects or um, a lot of those changes too in Pilsen um, that artists were in a way fighting back from gentrification. So... Um, so a lot of a lot of awesome projects came from that, and I was able to witness them. So yeah. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Yeah, we no really problem. appreciate you talking about your time with the community, and for sure, we all resonate with you about how the community makes all of us feel. It makes us feel like yeah, safe and wanted, heard. So we really do appreciate you. Yeah, thank taking you. Taking your time. No, I appreciate y'all's work too. With us. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> That was Joe Mora. Thank you so much for your time. People tuning in, you're listening to WLPN Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM. Next, we will be joined by Joe, Sarita, and Izzy for our final discussion. Hi, everyone. I'm Maru, pronouns they, them, and don't forget it. I'm with Sarita Garcia, Izzy Ortiz, and Joseph Josue Mora. Earlier, the crew had the opportunity to interview our guests individually and now we're going to be doing a panel discussion with questions written by all of us. Thank you so much everyone for being here today. To get started, I really wanted to start talking about some recent events that have been happening um, that honestly impact all of us. So from Diego, this month the Supreme Court ruled against affirmative action programs in two universities citing them as unlawful. Why, especially in these times, are places like Yolokali important to black and brown communities? Um, yeah, that, I think, yeah, just thinking back to when I heard it was about affirmative action, I think it was also LGBTQ rights, it was like, 
just a plethora of different things that the Supreme Court uh, made decisions on. Um, and I think, you know, kind of thinking about that in relation to like why spaces like Yolo Kali are so important um, is because when we think about like, I guess for me, like I think about education and how, you know, even for myself, um, you know, I never really thought about like going to a different city to like go seek like a higher education for art or anything like that. And so I feel like Yolo Kali are, it is so such an important space for youth because it gives youth access to literally kind of being an art school. And it's kind of a joke between me and Joseph about how he <laughs> felt like he went to art school first at Yolo Kali and then got his like degree at SEIC. Yeah, like I got my BFA <laughs> at Yolo Kali and then my MFA at SEIC. And yeah. And I'll get my doctorate from Yale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like just hearing the fact that like, you know, Yolo Kali really provided a space that like not only just was welcoming and comfortable for a young person, but also like really had that like solid foundational um, like experimental and radical teaching that was like being facilitated by, you know, educators that were also teaching at higher level, like predominantly white institutions. Um, and also thinking like really, really critically about like the locations that they were like in, thinking politically, thinking about, you know, I mean, just hearing about the radio show talk about like BLM or like. Uh, hearing that Radio Arte used to do homo frequencia, um, which was like LGBTQ centered. And so, you know, um, I don't know where the future of like removing affirmative action will like look like with the, like, you know, in universities. And, and that really scares me to think that, you know, the, like the constant um, erasure and removal of black and brown voices in like, in higher education is like consistent, consistently happening. Um, but it, it also like kind of brings me back to think about like, okay, communities really are for each other and places like Yolokali, I think really f facilitate that where, you know, you have adults who really want to teach young people critical things and make sure young people are feeling safe and sort of like, you know, we're going to be all right. We got each other type of mentality. So, yeah, <laughs> that might have been a long-winded answer, but yeah. <laughs> the next question was from me, kind of also going on um, just experiences growing up in the United States, being impacted by all these laws, overturning Roe v. Wade, all these things that has been happening the last couple of years, especially right, right after the pandemic, like we've just survived. Mm -hmm. And now we have to continue to live in a place that is consistently trying to keep us from thriving, keep us from even just living uh, our lives. Um, fudge. I have like a, some, like something that's marinating in my mind that I want to share and it's, I'm like, oh yeah, if I just start talking, it'll just come out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know, like we're, yeah, you're, you're like giving me a lot to chew on like all at once, you know, and it's like a lot of topics that are pretty heavy to think about. And I mean, it's not like you said, anything new, like we've been, we've been doing this and, you know, the people that came before us have been doing this. And so, you know, like I, I don't want to get um, like... I don't want that to kill my spirit, you know? Like, we gotta keep going, and 
I mean, there are like tactics for control and people and like, you know, like taking away your access to knowledge, to spirit, to, to song, to dance, you know, like you're just, you being able to express yourself, to just be yourself, like that's incredibly powerful. And, and yeah, like we gotta, we gotta keep going, you know, we gotta stay connected and keep fighting, and be there for each other. And, you know, like the fact that you guys are asking these questions and inviting us to be here and making, like reminding us of the power that we hold, you know, and like together, like, <laughs> you know, like I'm so inspired right now and it's, it's special. Uh, so our next question is from Sam. At Yolokali, in all classes, a vital aspect of the class environment is the embracing of student independence in the skills they practice, in the expectations set for themselves, in the work that they produce and share. Why is that so important for youth? Why should the model of embracing youth independence continue? Art is pretty intuitive. It's important to be able to know how to follow your heart and um, our intuition and our feelings provide us like a compass. <clears throat> and that independence is something that you'll be fostering your whole life, you know? Um, so being able to connect with yourself and trust yourself to, take, to make different decisions in your art practice, in your art making, in your art exploration, I mean, in your life in general, you know, like everything is so, so beautifully interconnected and it's uh, also scary, but you know, like everything feeds into, into itself. And um, yeah, I think that, that pushing independence for youth is probably one of the best skills that you'll get to develop, especially like going out of your home and somewhere to explore this on your own with that model, like uh, to be a teenager again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, th I think, I don't know, because I'm thinking about, like, when I was a teenager, yeah, like, I wasn't getting that independence in high school, like, at my high school. Um, so, like, a space like Yolokali providing that or just allowing that to, to happen um, does, like, I, I know it really opened me up in, to, like, think differently about people and... Um, art in general or so I, th I think yeah that independence of just like allowing youth to 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 do what they want to do is a learn learning process in, in itself but also um, you know just letting it, it's letting the youth know like yes your voice is being heard and it's valuable because um, not I mean like I said I didn't feel that in my high school um, and, and I think that's why I also then was inspired to be a, like a teaching artist also is because like, oh, like I want to I want to go into spaces or meet, you know, other youth and give them the opportunity that I had to to be independent or to like run their own projects and, and make the work that they want to make. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's like that's why it's so important to have spaces like that. too. Yeah. Um... Yeah, there's there's so many great things that y'all are listening out. I think, I think, um, like yeah, for sure, making art or just being vulnerable to talk about 
like your own identity, your own experiences, whether that be like with your family or your gender identity, sexual identity or um, or anything like that is just such a vulnerable act to do, especially as a young person who is like still teasing out a lot of like who you are. Um, because I know when I was a teenager, I didn't have like an idea of who exactly I was and I was trying to really figure that out. Um, but having a space that not only like encourages and validates your own story and uses like a creative method to kind of go about it is really important. But also um, having folks like I think art making is definitely the first start, but like also just being comfortable to make art making. Like I think to be vulnerable enough to to like tap into something that you've never done before, to be encouraged to visit a different neighborhood that, you know, like kind of leave your own neighborhood and go somewhere else or talk to another young person about their experiences and and just like all of that I think is kind of like the first thing before even art making um and so I think you know I think Yolo Kali provides like a really great cushion and just has mentors and teachers and other youth who also like want to just expand on themselves um and and just having that space to feel comfortable to do that to be vulnerable um and then make art about that i think is like why yolo Gali is so good at making you know radio shows making art making um street murals that that yeah that are are very personal and very narrative based um so yeah i think it's i think it's a lot about like the community and the way we go about um, making art together, um, I think is really important. Yeah. Going more like in depth about community from Araceli, why is building a strong sense of community so important to youth in an arts reach like Yolokali? And how can we encourage more young people to share and strengthen that sense of community? I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of what I was describing. Like, I think... I think community, like, you know, I think, you know, the, I think what's kind of, like, hard is to think about, like, when we say community, it's easy to think about, like, one community, but I have multiple communities. Like, I got, like, communities who are, like, interested in art. I have communities that are interested in research. I have communities that are, you know, that are fat. Like, I have communities that are trying to figure out, like, their own queer identity, and so... Like, and I think what's, what's really important, and maybe this is even a message for, like, youth nonprofits, maybe this is youth who want to, like, create clubs or, like, want to create groups, is, like, I think, I think it's important just to have, like, to, to make that community with, with people through various levels besides, like, one thing. Like, you know, throughout my interviews that I did with a lot of Yolokali alum, there was folks that talked about, oh, I really liked it because I had, like, a graffiti crew. Or I really liked it because that was the first time I saw a teacher that looked like me. Or I liked it because it was down my neighborhood. Or someone said I liked it because I lived in Humboldt and I actually like, like, I've never left my neighborhood before. And so I was meeting other people. So I think like, you know, through that community building, like comes space to, for young people to kind of like come together. Um, and then for youth, like for youth to create that space, like, 
I think that is really hard, like, in, as a young person to, like, have that responsibility to create community, but it can be done. But I also think that there, and I know youth want to do that, but I also, like, kind of want to say, like, adults, like, like, you have to kind of be the spark to do that. Because a lot of the times young people can feel kind of like, I don't know where to begin. So I think that's where, you know, mentorship, intergenerational learning can happen, where there is space for young people to be in a, in a space that's safe, but it's curated by adults who want to provide that and are thinking really, really critically about it. So, yeah. Yes, Sarita. Come on. <laughs> oh, love your brain. Yeah, that was powerful. My eyes are watering. <laughs> yeah, community is so important. I mean, and it's like inherent, you know, like we shouldn't. It's crazy that we have to even talk about like how to form community or like, you know, like how we're being like so taken or separated from one another. That's sad. But it's amazing because we're here, you know, and so it's like we're, we're keeping the flame alive, that little flame. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying about like, um, like adults being the ones that um, like take that step because youth, youth do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Youth mm-hmm. do a lot of work. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, whew. <laughs> hey, if you're listening, <laughs> you know, it's time to time to help out the youth because they're they're ready you know (laughs) thank you guys so much and you know i'm gonna be taking all of this with me after today and excited to also just see where you all go and all your future works as well and now i'm gonna pass it to kids so they can help close out today's show and with that we conclude our first show of the 23rd season where we highlighted the legacy of yolo and how he gave shape to past alumni present students and most importantly gave shape to our community. We had the pleasure to interview curator Marina Alvarez, museum founder Carlos Tortoledo, Yola OG Sarita Garcia, Izzy Ortiz, and Joe Mora, and they got to talk about their experiences with Yola. I'm joined with Araceli, Maru, Big Sam on controls, and Diego. This has been It's Giving Shape, and thank you for tuning in to WLPN, LP 105.5 FM, Lumpin' Radio, Chicago. Thank you all. Shout out, Seth. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No! And yo, who let her back in? (laughs) And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard. Heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kali. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Period. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of... Put the fuck up.